This episode of The Sleeper and the Bus is brought to you by Out of the Park Baseball 19, the best baseball strategy game ever made. Available now on PC, Mac, and Linux platforms. It's officially licensed by MLB and the MLBPA, allowing you to take any team from any era, from any level, and run it the way you want with unprecedented depth, control, and authenticity. New features for this year include dramatic 3D ballpark and player improvements, an all-new tournament mode, allowing for infinite combinations, all new scouting systems, significant AI adjustments based on the latest trends, and so much more. Even better, if you order now through the Sleeper in the Bus podcast, you'll receive a special 10% discount off the retail price of $39.99 by going to OOTP Developments and clicking on the order banner. Just enter the code SLEEPER19 at checkout. Once again, just go to OOTPDevelopments.com, click on the order banner, then enter the code SLEEPER19 at checkout for a special discount that helps support the Sleeper and the Bust. Thanks. Welcome to episode 547 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, May 9th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I'm flying solo today, and I've got something special for you. It is the all-struggle bus team, and uh, what we're going to be looking at today is kind of a team of players that have been terrible, and kind of uh, see see what's up. Basically, a check-in with these guys. They they range in, uh, in value in terms of where they were drafted, and, and thus... Their, the concern around them uh, has a range in, in some positions. I couldn't really find guys that were super early picks that are struggling. Others are, you know, first, second round types that will will assess, but, uh, you know, there's not going to be actionable movement there. In fact, it'll, it'll just be more of a, a calming down sort of situation. So we have, uh, you know, standard standard infield there. Uh, no corner and middle, just, just all, all the positions there. Three outfielders, a couple starters, and a reliever. Um, not much uh, on the news front right now that that's that's particularly fresh. Uh, you know, you, you probably know about the Roberto Osuna situation. It's pretty it's pretty bad over there. It needs to get that figured out. But I'm not going to comment uh, on too much detail until we actually get some details. Other than to say it's obviously a serious matter. That matter uh, needs to be taken care of well beyond any sort of fantasy ramifications but since we don't know the details uh, of anything we can you know kind of put that over there and then l- at least look at the, uh, the the ramifications fantasy wise i would think sengwon o is going to kind of be the closer there to start they have a lot of guys who have closed before so it shouldn't be difficult for them to kind of put somebody in that they at least feel confident with out there in toronto i would i think i would handicap it sengwon o you know, probably Axford second. I know everyone wants Ryan Tapera to get it. You know, he's kind of the exciting guy that we've never seen before and, and want to dream on him as, as being a, a beast closer. But he's had some home run issues this year. I'm not sure if those are something that's carried over in his career. Not really, in fact. Uh, looking over his career, he's at 1.2, but this year it's at 2.2 for Tapera. So coming into the, well, coming into this year, he's 1-1. So yeah, homers have been a little bit of an issue. Only one season where he only allowed uh, 0.5, that was back in 2016, and he only threw 18 innings. So I think Tapera is kind of like the favorite that people are trying to will into existence, and yet actually fourth on the list of, of potentials as far as I see it. I think it's O, Axford, and then maybe even Clippard over Tapera because he's done the job as well. But Clippard has the same issue where home runs are, are, the, are the thing. He's built himself back up, Clippard has. He's really difficult to hit again, getting some strikeouts, but... Still has allowed three homers in his 18 innings. Tapera's had four in 16 and two-thirds. So there's that situation there. The bullpen report will keep you abreast of all the situation uh, or all the uh, uh, changes in that situation. Uh, So let's go ahead and get into the team then. And we'll just start at the very top with catcher and one that I'm sure folks are a little bit concerned about. But, um, you know, Gary Sanchez is not somebody you're going to be able to make a huge move on uh, despite his struggles. He's hitting 193. 278 OBP, 487 slug. Notice that 487 slug there. That's yielding a 294 ISO. ISO, for those that don't know, is just slug minus average. It really gets to the heart of your power. Uh, get get those singles out. Let's see how much you're driving the ball. He has 17 extra base hits out of 23 hits for, for Gary Sanchez. Nine homers, eight doubles. Bottom lining it for you, he's fine. 
Uh, I don't really see a lot of concern. His singles aren't falling. He has a 187 BABIP. I'm sure there's some performance in that, um, but I would also attribute a decent bit of it to to some bad luck too. I don't think an 11% ground or excuse me, an 11% line drive rate is necessarily going to stick. I think he'll get a few more line drives going soon. He does have a 50% fly ball rate, which is up from 37%. So there are some batted ball profile differences, but I don't think that they're going to necessarily stick. I think there will be a run of, you know, 20, 25 games where Gary Sanchez is hitting 380 or something. And, you know, he's on the who's hot list on MLB Network and all that sort of stuff. Just just a really big hot streak. And I'm sure he'll have power with it. And all of a sudden you'll look up. It'll be a Memorial Day. And you'll be like, why, why, why was I concerned about Gary Sanchez? So, yeah, nothing there that I would really be overly concerned about is walk rate. It's actually up from last year. Strikeout rate's up a little bit to 23 to uh, 26. Not a major concern. I would say I'm not going to say go buy low on Gary Sanchez because I don't think you can actually buy low. So I don't want to feel it. You know, I don't want to be trying to give some great advice that that isn't actionable. Like, I, I just I don't think you're going to go swindle anybody for Gary Sanchez. They're going to see nine homers and they're going to say, yeah, I'm still getting my power catchers garbage. Uh, the 193 average isn't great. But if you're going to have a terrible average. You would want it from your catcher because they're they're contributing the fewest plate appearances just based on the fact that they don't play six seven days a week. Um, you know it's five or six depend you know, depending how it goes there. So, and guess what? On ESPN's Player Raider, guess who's number one catcher? Gary Sanchez. So there's no buy low. There's not nothing like that. If you can buy, great. I would buy, um, but I would pay fair market and and all, all that because I do think this hot streak will will come and, and get his batting average up and everything but um yeah don't expect any sort of discount if you really want him go out there make a fair offer if you can if you can pay a, a fourth rounder who's overperforming into a second rounder and then you feel like you're getting a deal fine but uh don't go into any sort of trade talks and insult the gary sanchez team by by offering him some uh 14th round pick or something that's that's doing well for you like oh yeah here we go. I got, I got this guy for you. Do you, do you want this? Uh, you know, I can't even think of. Here's Nomar Mazzara, and I love Nomar Mazzara. Don't get me wrong, but I would laugh in your face if you offered me Mazzara for Gary Sanchez. So easy one there. He's fine. This next one. Oh, excuse me. Hang on. We have uh, first base, and then we'll get to another super easy one. First base is Anthony Rizzo, and I can't just say ditto the Gary Sanchez situation because there's some. Interesting aspects to his profile right now, okay? 185 Babbitt right off the top. That is similar to Sanchez where you're like, well, base hits aren't falling. It's a little weird. And unlike Sanchez, his batted ball profile, Rizzo's, is not really different. Um, There are small differences here and there. Few points added to the fly ball rate, which was taken directly from the line drive rate. Um, Pulling it a little bit more. Uh, a little more medium contact taken out of the hard contact. These are small changes that could be completely turned uh, turned around in like a three-game sample. That That's what I'm saying. We're, we're talking small percentages here. So I don't really see a lot there. What is interesting to me is a 4% walk rate. That is so far below his norm. He's an 11% career guy. Rizzo is. He was 13% last year. He hasn't been below double digits since 2012 when he only played 87 games. And so that's weird. 4% walk rate. And I don't know really what's behind that. I haven't watched a lot of Cubs this year. If anybody uh, is an avid Cubs watcher and has either some theories or some some uh, thoughts on that or that have maybe come from the telecast or, or whatever, please put them in the comments or, or, or tweet me at Spore because I, I'd be interested. I haven't seen anything on it. It is odd. I don't even know if it's automatically bad uh you know it's obviously depressing his obp and if you were counting on him in in an obp league you could handle the bad average because you'd be like well i'm still going to get a double digit walk rate and and it'll it'll keep him at like a 340 obp but right now he's at 268 because of this four percent walk rate so that's really weird with rizzo and i don't know what's going on there he's got a 61 wrc plus big power outage right now with a 120 iso he has four homers and zero doubles I have a tough time coming out of this saying that everything's fine. Now, 
that's that 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 doesn't mean that the future is terrible, right? This could just be a, an awful cold streak. And and you know, if he's not nursing some injuries or or anything like that, then he gets out of it and it's just a, a an awful funk for for 24 games. But wait, 24 games. So that means he hasn't played all of their games. Did he have a DL stint? I don't I don't recall. Oh yeah, he was on the DL. I'm 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 tripping on that. I I'm fairly certain Rizzo had to have been on the DL with just 24 games. So that would certainly color uh the situation a little bit more as well if this mouse click would work. There we go. Uh let's see. He missed 8 games from April 5th to the 17th. That seems like a a min a min stay on the DL. Let me check my injury website that I love. And Sorry about the typing there. Sorry, on the solo dolos, you have to deal with a little bit of typing while I get my notes going and um, taking drinks every once in a while. I apologize. Uh, tightness in the lower back. Okay. Back issues, you all know. Anytime somebody has a back issue, that does concern me. As somebody who deals with chronic back pain myself, it can be difficult sometimes to do the stuff I do, and it's nowhere near being an MOB player. So uh, there is some concern here. Again, I, I'm not sure how actionable it is on, on both fronts because, A, you're, you're definitely not cutting him. That would be insane. And, B, if you trade him, I do think you have to give a discount, and I don't know that you want to do that. I don't think you can, you can um, you know, go into the market in your league and say, no, I need full price or damn near for Anthony Rizzo uh, if you expect to get anything done. So if you want to sell low and cut your losses, that is an option. But I think that's the only avenue right now with Anthony Rizzo outside of just uh, holding holding tight and and uh, plowing through it and see, seeing what happens with Rizzo uh, if the back is something that's kind of getting better and he might be improving. I think that's that's really only the only thing that you can do with Rizzo right now because this is pretty bad, and I just don't know that uh, I, that I would run away. And you know what? I'm looking at this right now, and I should have looked at this first, and I apologize. Uh, he does have. Three of his four homers since May 1st. He has hits in every one of his games except for one uh, this month, including three multi-hit games. So it looks like he's already coming out of it. That that seems to be uh, where we're headed here. So you might have already been through the worst of it. And now, hmm, now I'm thinking, go, 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 go be the person who buys. <laughs> hmm, he still hasn't walked since... Literally since 420. He got lit on 420, took a walk, and he's like, I don't want to do that again. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Anthony Rizzo did not get lit on 420, to my knowledge. Although they were in Colorado. Okay, I'm, I'm so, sorry. I'm, I'm kidding. It's 100% a joke. Not funny. Moving on. Anthony Rizzo, you either buy low if, if you're interested, and but actually get a re- legitimate discount. Um. Or just sit tight if you if you have him. I think I'd probably just sit tight, ride it out, because it does look like Anthony Rizzo is emerging from his awful slump right now. All right, the next one, second base, is Jose Altuve. And again, it's it's even more so um a you know, just here to calm your calm your fears with as with Sanchez. I just don't see enough here to really be worried. I've heard and and in fairness, there aren't a lot of people freaking out. Um I happen to get a couple of tweets on it. Let me back up. Jose Altuve is hitting 320, 379, 418. He has a 124 WRC plus. He is not like the rest of this list. I want to be clear on that. But there were some what's wrong with Jose Altuve situations that I was hearing. And I was like, nothing? But I figured I would include him to kind of dive a little bit further on it. And again, it's assuage any of the fears that 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 folks might have um because i mean he's hitting 320 you know i know he's he's not really running he's one for two on the bases and that's where the concern is because even the two homers uh you know is low but he can go on a run he's got a five percent homer to fly ball rate i think a little home run binge is probably incoming at some point batted ball profile is perfectly fine in fact the hard contact rate is substantially up from last year, twenty-eight to thirty-five percent. Um, the line drive, ground ball, fly ball is is very similar. Well, interestingly, uh, a lot of ground balls have turned into line drives, which is a positive. So it's either similar 
or better than last year. The only real difference is in the pull center oppo, where he's not pulling as much and he's going up the middle as much. That could explain the homer deficiency for Altuve because he's up from 33% to 45% on center. Um, and, and, the, and it's mostly come from the pull field where he was at 41% last year. He's down to 32% for Jose Altuve on his pulled, pulled hits. So, you know, again, I'm not too worried. Pop a few in the Crawford boxes on an extended home, home stretch. And if he's got, you know, seven, eight homers by Memorial day, you're, you're barely flinching. So don't worry. And, and don't just as, as a, as a favor to those of us who have, legitimately struggling players on our team don't ever term it what's wrong with the player when that player is hitting 320 okay that's just offensive to those of us that uh that are rostering some some legitimate slugs on our team okay for the for those that like bought in on jason kipnis's uh spring training or whatever not me that, that, that one was not me. I have plenty of terrible players on my teams, but not Jason Kipnis. So, yeah, there's nothing wrong with Altuve. Do not worry. And, again, you can't really go by low because there, no, there is no low with him. This one was just like a special special inclusion to calm down a few of you uh, who, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have catered to a few freakouts. <laughs> but I just wanted to bring him up and be like, come on. We cannot – be worried about a, a situation like this right now. He might not run as much. That's okay. I think people knew that coming in with Altuve, that the stolen bases, you know, weren't necessarily a guarantee to hold in the 30s. Um, you know, he's 28 now. He's becoming like a middle of the lineup threat. If he kind of dips down to t- 23 this year or something, eh, you're still you're still fine. You're still absolutely fine. Let's move on. Let's go over to third base. And um, let's see, who's the third baseman? Oh, you know what? Hang on. I want to look at something here because when I was making this list, I actually went to shortstop next, but is this guy shortstop eligible? Okay, then he ends up being the shortstop. This is one where I said not not all these guys are like upper round guys. The shortstop entrant is actually Scott Kingery. And I brought him up more because I, I really wanted to talk about him. You know, he had a lot of hype coming in. He signed that deal before he ever debuted to kind of get him into the majors without any sort of service time tinkering. I think he got off to like a decent start initially, and then he's hit a cold spell since. So right now, Scott Kingery is getting dropped in some leagues. There's a lot of panic, and we talk about this a lot on the show. This is what happens when the flashy prospect comes up and he's not a beast immediately. The fantasy baseball community turns on these guys and Oh my gosh, they get forget forgotten quickly. So through his first 13 games, Kingery had a 280, 315, 540. So that was good for an 855 OPS with a couple homers and a couple steals, two of each there, and that's in 13 games. Now in the 19 games since then, he has a 155, 222, 172 with no homers and two stolen bases. And you know, of course, there's there's the requisite freakout to go with it. What's wrong with Scott Kingery? I don't know. You know, he's a 24-year-old kind of adjusting to life in the bigs. And it's it's not good. I'm not saying like, first off, I'm not saying don't ever worry about players or, or that anybody's wrong for, for questioning Kingery. What I'm saying is is have some nuance about the about the panic and say, okay, I have concerns, but I'm not instantly running away from Scott Kingery, especially if you were a big Kingery backer. That's where it really surprises me is when when one of these prospects, big backers, instantly flips after 32 games. That's where I'm like, wow, you you loved this guy. You thought he was the game changer. Um, And again, I you can see this across. This is not a, a straw man. I'm not just building this up and attacking something that doesn't happen. This happens with prospects often. If they are not beasts, they are discarded on for the next flavor of the month, you know. And so I think with Kingery, you know, it's not a great plate profile with 28% strikeouts, 5% walks. That's pretty pretty mediocre to bad even. I, I, I would venture to say bad. That's below average on, on both counts there. Um, and a 130 ISO, so the pop has has dwindled or, or dried up, I should say, as the you know the homers aren't there right now. But it's a six percent homer to fly ball rate. He does still have four stolen bases, so you know you're getting something out of him. And if he plays 150 games, you're looking at what, what around like 20 steals. So 
I don't know. I, I think in 10-teamer, if you have to move on, I get it. That's just more of not necessarily giving up on the guy in terms of thinking that he won't ever be good for Kingery. That's more of saying, listen, it's a 10-team league. I'm bypassing 10 different middle infielders who I could have put in here just to hold out for this guy who doesn't have a track record. That I understand moving on. 10-teamer, anybody outside of your, honestly, like top 10 rounds right now, uh, and if somebody in the top 10 that has an injury or whatever, but anybody that's like perf playing, they're, they're an everyday player. They've got over a hundred plate appearances. So they have a legitimate sample and they're, let's say about the 10th round or, or earlier. I don't think you can really make a move on them at all. You can reserve the ones that are struggling, but I, I would have a hard time cutting them. Then once you really start getting into the double digit rounds, you can, you can make moves and Kingery was not some early pick. So if you want to move on from him in 10 teamers, fine, but but you 15-teamers, man, you got to stick it out. This is a guy who you thought could be a game-changer with power and speed. He had 26 homers um, last year and 29 steals across AA and AAA, King Green did, in, in 132 games. So, you know, there's some real talent here. I, I, I think you got to stick it out. I was not, I, I was not um, uh, very familiar with King Green coming in. And so I kind of learned about him this winter uh, as to what he was as a prospect and that he was a high-quality prospect. So, you know, I didn't really gain draft shares. I might go out and, and see about see about buying in deeper leagues. And only uh, 15 team. It's, it's easier to buy in those leagues, 100%. I, I admit that. But um, because he is more of an unknown, I don't think I'm – you know, trying to buy low in, in 10 and 12 teamers with Kingry. But uh, yeah, I, if you loved this guy coming in, 32 games should not have you completely off of him. So that's where I'm at with Kingery. 10 teamer, I get it. Every other league, you should be trying to hold this guy for a while. Plus, he plays a lot of positions. I, I was surprised on the that I put him as my shortstop because I didn't label the positions because I'm dumb. <laughs> I just did bullet points here and they, they obviously go in order. Um, for the most part, but then I was like, who's the shortstop between these guys? And uh, yeah, King Kingery was the shortstop guy. He's got 14 games there, but he plays everywhere. And depending on your league's eligibility rules, he's got 14 games at short, seven at third, seven in the outfield, three at second. You know, I play in some deep leagues where you play a, a game and you're eligible just because they're so deep. By the way, I like that. I think if you're playing a league that gets really deep in the pool, some of you crazies out there myself included playing like 12 team only leagues that should be one game eligibility i know it'll create some weirdness that's fine because the the pool's thin enough the waiver pool is thin enough let's get some added flexibility for some players for me personally i i like that especially in deeper leagues to where uh you could have somebody like king green being being a swiss army knife right now so that's where we're at with with scott king green let's move on to third base Another guy who qualifies in multiple multiple positions, Matt Carpenter. And you look at this profile, and it seems like an automatic buy low, buy now, get every share you can type of guy. Let me take a drink here. Pardon me. <clears throat> you know, so here's what we're looking at with Carpenter. 152, 305, 295. That's average OBP slug. 186 Babbitt, three homers, six doubles, 143 ISO, 26% strikeouts. That's a career high, by the way, um, but still 18% walks. And normally it'd be, again, auto buy low. Go get this guy. He's he's a quality player. He's proven. He's hit 20-plus homers the last three years. He's an OBP machine. Um, even when his batting average struggles, which it did last year, 241, he still had a 384 OBP. So he's getting on base, scoring runs. He scored 91 runs, hitting 241 because he's on base all the time. That shoulder still worries me, though. And, you know, maybe maybe I let Colette overly spook me. I don't know. But it's, you know, kind of playing out. There's a power outage right now. He's not getting as many hits. He's not get, hitting with as much force on the... Uh, uh, on the ISO, but then I look and I see a 40% hard contact rate. I see only an 8% soft contact rate. So everything's like medium or better for the most part. And I wonder, well, is the shoulder affecting him? I, I, I don't know. You know, you can't read this. I don't think you can perfectly read this and say, well, because it's an 8% soft contact, that's not affecting him because there's also a, a jump in ground ball rate from 26% to 32%, excuse me, from, um, 
26% to 31%, which isn't so severe that, that, wow, he's now some major ground ball guy. But if a bunch of that hard, harder contact, let's say the medium and up, is going into the ground, well, there's not a whole lot you can do with that unless it's getting through a hole or going down the line. So I think despite what some of these numbers might be telling us, the the, the shoulder could absolutely still be affecting Carpenter and, and his power and, and making him less of an obvious buy low. I think at this point, though, the price could be so low that, that even the risk that you incur with the shoulder is such that it's worth it. And if he, even if he is, uh, the, the doomsday scenario that Colette has, you're like, well, I paid virtually nothing. I paid my 20th round pick who's, who's doing well this year. You know, so, something like that. In fact, let me, let, me, let me do something. Let me do – let's go look around pick 250 and see who's been doing well there that we could reasonably say that you might consider trading for Carpenter. 250 in a uh, uh, NFBC. I know I frame a lot of stuff on NFBC. That's just kind of my, my guiding frame. I understand leagues are different, so you guys got to kind of apply it to your own own leagues there. So that, that's a 15-team mix for those that don't know. Uh, let's see here. I'm, let me see. Is this guy performing well? Uh, David Peralta? He's off to a good start, isn't he? Or not good. I, do you say good start now? When, when is the cutoff point of that? You know what it reminds me of the, is the uh, the Happy New Year thing. Like how late do you say it? If, if, if I don't see you – if I see you on like December – 24th on Christmas Eve we hang out and then I don't see you again until January 15th don't you don't say happy new year you you, you don't it's fine it's past it's all right you didn't get to hit me early with it that's okay move on uh I just think it's funny sometimes we get into June and you'll hear oh he's off to a slow start and I'm not casting aspersions by the way I say it sometimes I'll look and say oh he's off to a bad start uh, dude, he's 63 games in or whatever. That's not really a bad start. It's like he's he's having a, a tough season or whatever. So I don't know what the cutoff is, uh, but David Peralta's playing well. Would you trade a David Peralta for a Matt Carpenter? That's interesting because Matt David Peralta was picked 262 and Carpenter was pick 187. I don't know if I'd do that, actually. I... I picked a bad one because I actually love David Peralta. I've always seen him as a, a, a late-round batting average source, which is very difficult to find because they're usually flawed uh, elsewhere. They're usually like super empty batting averages. And he's not like some big power guy, but he did have 14 homers and 8 stolen bases. I'll take that with the 293 all day. A lot of times if you're going to get a 293 average that late, it's like with two homers and four steals. It is just some empty batting average sort of dude. Like uh, a guy I do like. But uh, who is now hurt? Joe Panic. But he's so cheap that that you usually are like fine. I'll take the empty batting average. Um, man, I don't know if I'd actually do that. So maybe maybe I'm not as open to trading for Carpenter as I as I think here with the with the late round picks that are that are succeeding. What about like a young Gervis Solarte? I like how I'm saying what about as if I have a co-host on to bounce this off of. Um, young Gervis Solarte is probably a better example. He was even cheaper. He was picked three hundo. And he's off to uh, 264, 345, 347, excuse me, 519 with nine homers. Hmm, now that's an interesting one. Damn, I don't think I would. Maybe I just don't want Matt Carpenter, y'all. I, I'm coming to that realization here that even with this buy low profile, maybe that's not even low enough. Let's see if I can find somebody in the 300s, well, deeper in the 300s since... Uh, What's his face was, you know, here's another one, another, a teammate of Solarte who was three, three, three thirty six average draft position, Kevin Pillar. And I don't think I'd trade him either. Now I'm, I'm obviously plucking some of the best guys, uh, drafted this late, but I'm just not sure that I'm in for the Matt Carpenter experience right now. I don't know. It's just something I kind of decided, um, early in the off season, when we talked with Colette about it uh, on multiple shows with regards to the shoulder, and I just don't know that it's a headache that I want. It could be a profitable headache, but um, I, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna pass. So, yeah, I, I, I thought that exercise would turn out differently, where, where I was gonna find some guys that I would go ahead and buy buy low on, but uh, it turns out, nah, or or buy low with, but. 
their the the performances of those guys was such that I like I don't want to give that up. I wonder if there's some and there probably is, but I'm not gonna keep sorting through like some guys. Here's one, uh, last one, Matt Kemp. Now Matt Kemp's off to a great start, and looks like he you know he's best shape of his life sort of guy and. People were saying, well, you know, didn't he have some best shape of his life sort of stuff last year with Atlanta? And then he kind of got the weight back and he would kind of meandered through the season as like an average, solid average guy. Well, now he's got five homers and an NL best 353 batting average. <sighs> Man, maybe I'd be more open to that. He's 33 years old. Carpenter's 32, you know, tra trading an aged guy for an aged guy. I'm trading one on the high end for the one on the low end. Do we really think Matt, Car uh, Matt Kemp's going to keep a 954 OBP? I think, I think even on the positive end, even if I fostered a, a really uh, glowing picture for Kemp this year, and I, I, I tried to get in on the best shape of his life thing. This is as a Matt Kemp fan, though. I really liked him in his heyday. He was such a beast player. Um, but he's probably, what, an 8 840 OPS kind of guy? If you really think, like, I think that's kind of going to be his landing point there, which would still be pretty good. Man, I don't even know if I'd do that. If the needs met up, I could do it, uh, meaning I need an infielder. Trade partner needs an outfielder. I could do Kemp for Carpenter. But uh, I think with the hemming and hawing of these these pick 250 or later guys that I can't even get on board to trade for Carpenter, I've just soured on Carpenter. As I said with the, uh, with the Rizzo thing, if there's any of you Cardinals fans out there that watch telecast all the time, have some info or, or, or something that you think would kind of color – the situation on Carpenter and give me a little bit more insight that I that I might be missing. Feel free to put that in the comments or tweet me. I, maybe I'm being too harsh, but for me, it's 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 just a bit of a it, it, not a bit. It's a full on stay away. I'm just not really that interested, barring some crazy trade that would be obviously in my favor and unlikely to come come about. Let's move on to the first outfield guy where it's a very similar situation. To be quite honest, it's a younger guy, but it's another shoulder issue. It's Michael Conforto. And I remember when Conforto came back, I acknowledged that I had that timetable dead wrong. Uh, speaking of Colette, he's taught me over the years to uh, not trust timetables for anything and, and always, always add time to them. Now, they won't always play out that way, but if you go in adding time, you're going to be in a better situation more often than not, right? It's a probability thing. It's, it's, it's a what happens more often. And more often than not, they do not beat the timetable. They certainly do not kill the timetable the way Conforto did. He was supposed to be out for a month. He was back on like April 5th. And so um, maybe he shouldn't have been, though. He's been terrible. 188, 333, 294 with a 106 ISO. And he, he's up to that because he had a homer yesterday Conforto did yesterday being uh when uh, Tuesday May 8th for those for those listening to this not uh not 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 the day it comes out and so you really got to wonder if 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 he came back too early if the shoulder's still nagging by the way the homer was on the 7th excuse me it was on Monday um yeah i don't know the strikeout rate is not any higher. Well, it is higher, excuse me, but not at a, a alarming rate. It was 26 last year. It's 28% this year. The walk rate's actually up a little bit. I wonder, and I uh, this is a wonder. This is not a, a concrete thing. I wonder if there's a measure of passivity to that walk rate improvement where he's like, I can't really drive the ball right now. I'm not playing that well. Let me get in some deep counts, maybe get on base via the walk. Because the 333 OBP, at least it's something, right? It can justify the Mets letting him play through it here and figuring out what's what. It is 26 games, 105 plate appearances. Can't throw, can't throw out Conforto and just say a flat cut. But uh, I would be concerned. I am concerned. I was concerned coming into the season. I wanted nothing to do with this situation based on the severity of the shoulder injury and how everyone, you know, assessed it and reacted when it happened. This was supposed to be something that was supposed to cost him a month plus, and it didn't, and it seems like maybe he should have still been out. I, I don't know. Maybe that's unfair to say just because he's underperforming, but this is not a situation where I'm going to go buy low. I know some of you Conforto backers out there will go snap up as many shares as you can. I understand the appeal, okay? 27 homers in 109 games last year um, can hit for a good batting average, can be a stud, I, I totally see the studliness of a healthy Conforto. 
I do not think that is what we have right now. We do not have a healthy Conforto. I have a, you have a hard time convincing me that he's healthy right now. He's playing, but he's not healthy. Vast differences between those two. So this one is a bit more of a panic, but I don't know that you can do much except kind of ride it out. Again, on the 10-teamer situation, maybe, maybe I could say go ahead and, and, and move on there. Because, yeah, you paid, you paid so low. Um, I know the NFBC ADPs don't 1,000% translate uh, to, to every other league type. But he was pick 192 on average, Conforto was. Even if you bump that up 30 picks, you're talking 160, around 16 in a 10-teamer. Uh, that you can start, start to cut. So I'd be okay with that. Uh, but 15-teamers, mixed leaguers, you got to ride it out a little bit. Sorry, I mean, that's what you invested for. Um, you got this guy. You weren't even expecting him to be back yet. This is almost, I mean, I know the batting average hurts, but but you can almost look at the 14 runs, two homers, seven ribbies, and stolen base as extra, sort of. But it came with the cost of, of a 188 average. So that that's, that's a tortured little uh, uh, idea there. I think you got to ride it out, though. You you invited this when you bought in on a guy with a devastating shoulder injury. If you cut bait, and then he does come through come through it, and he is just kind of nursing it back to health, and and they're aware of it, and that's why the Mets are still playing Conforto because like no, he's progressing every day or something like that. You you got to just ride it out, I think, which uh, isn't fun, and I don't envy you at all. But uh, you chose this life, so uh, ride it out with Conforto. You you got to. And that's, that's how I talk now. I say gots. You gots to. I'm just kidding. Uh, all right. Next up, Marcelo Zuna. What is up with Marcelo Zuna? Man, he's the worst. No, he's not. 246, 277, 328. Triple slash is no good. Uh, 0.82, 0.082 ISO. Vomit inducing. Just has two yaks. That makes He wants to make me yak. Uh, has nine runs scored. My goodness. And 19 ribbies, 25% strikeout rate, 4% walk rate. That is more than cut in half from last year's mark. And he's never been a huge walker. The 9% last year for Ozuna was a career high, but uh, he's not a 4% guy either. E even if you if you look past last year's breakout, he's still uh, nearly half of, of his career mark of 7% with this, uh, with this 4% clip so far. So everything seems to be kind of going against uh, Marcelo Zuna, and you can't just look at the Babbitt and say, well, it's a, you know, four, one, uh, one, oh, whatever Babbitt. It's not. It's actually 316, which is, you know, perfectly in line with his 326 career. So, what the freak is going on? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, actually, I'm not glad you asked because I don't know. <laughs> just kidding. Now, let's take a look at the batted ball profile here. He's not hitting it in the in the air as much, but you might be surprised to know that he was a heavy ground ball guy last year. For somebody with such power, he hit the ball on the ground 47% of the time. This year it's up to 49. So, you know, 49 isn't is by any stretch great, but it's in line with what Marcelo Zuna's already always done. And he has nearly a 50% hard contact rate. 48 is where, where he's at right now. That's up nine percentage points from last year. Um 39% medium. I mean, the, the soft contact is at a career low 13%. He's stinging the ball. He's pulling it career high 44%. But if he's just pulling it on the ground, this is another one. Cardinals fans, you can let me know. Are they shifting him? Is he getting a right-handed shift because he's pulling the ball on the ground and just uh, eating up his batting average? It's it's not good right now, but a 7% homer to fly ball ratio is not going to hold. I see enough here that I would absolutely buy low on Marcelo Zuna, and I would I would demand a discount. Now, buy low is a loaded term. I think people assume that they're going to fleece somebody. Well, Marcelo Zuna was a top 50 pick. So if you can if you can pay a cost that's more of somebody in the in the 100 to 150 range, you've you've bought low. And if it is on the higher end of that range in the 150 sort of region, you'd have to pay somebody who is performing well too it can't be your your slug that you drafted 150 it has to be somebody who's doing well you know what about like um your pitching's doing well and you ended up with Gio Gonzalez who's you know pitching pretty well again this year everyone thought he would 
completely crater. His whip is 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 bad, much worse than last year from 118 to 135. But his ERA is actually lower, if you can believe that, from 296 to 233. Something's got to give there. But the interesting thing about it is even with that whip, uh, Gio Gonzalez's FIP basically justifies his ERA, assuming how much you believe in FIP. Uh, it's at 256. And it's because his strikeouts are up and his home runs are way down. He's allowed just one homer in 39 innings of work and the hits are up a little bit. So, you know, again, you, I don't think, well, actually I would, I don't think you have to have some big pitching surplus. If he's kind of a linchpin for you, if, if your pitching has been struggling a little bit uh, or, or kind of solid, if unspectacular and Gio's a linchpin, I don't know if I would kind of pull that. Uh, tent pole out and 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 move him for Ozuna, but I, there's a lot of scenarios where my pitching could be fine, um, and I, I would absolutely entertain moving Gio Gonzalez for Marcelo Ozuna. And I don't think that that's a slap in the face offer to somebody holding him, especially if that team needs pitching. Right? Maybe their their offense is surviving in spite of Ozuna, or at least um, holding on. And you see that their pitching's even worse. And you're like, well, hey, I got this pitcher here. Let me get this outfielder. Something like that I could totally see. Um, let me see here. Wilson Ramos was pick 159, but I can't imagine that you would want to trade a catcher that's raking. That would be tough. You know, outfielder for outfielder, I just don't usually see that. You know, so I'm not, I want to get away from, from citing outfielders, so that's why I'm kind of avoiding some of the guys around there. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. I'm only finding outfielders and Gio Gonzalez in this range that I was talking about. Um, yeah, this is such a fail right now. I really can't find names that I'm like, yeah, hey, I would definitely do that. Yeah. You know what I, I might offer? And it's tough to offer an injured guy. Um, but I don't think he's supposed to have a major DL stay here. I'm pulling his. Yeah. Uh, Yon Mankata has some hamstring tightness. He's supposed to be out for like another week. He's off to a great start. Six homers, four stolen bases, 868 OPS. I could see something like that, uh, particularly if you have some infield surplus where, you know, the replacement that you put in for Moncada is doing well, and so he's kind of an extra uh, on your bench while he, ha while, while he heals, excuse me, and your outfield slagging a little bit. There's something I could do, Moncada, for Ozuna. The bottom line is I would buy low on Ozuna, and I would pay a pretty decent price uh, for him because I don't see enough in here to believe that he's trash, particularly because I don't see his breakout as out of nowhere. He was breaking out in 2016, Marcelo Ozuna was, and then he had a wrist injury that uh, spiked the rest of that season. He played through it. He ended up playing 148 games. Uh, because it wasn't a, a DL-worthy sort of thing, but it was absolutely a performance-altering sort of thing. So Marcelo Zuna, definitely go out, entertain offers, see see or no, uh, make some offers. You can entertain them too if, if you have them, if you really want, but if I had Marcelo Zuna, I'm just sitting tight. I'm just sitting tight with him. All right, next up on the outfield, the last one. This one's quick just because, honestly, I couldn't find a lot of outfielders that were really, really struggling. And so, you know, he wasn't, this guy wasn't even a super high pick, but I wanted to bring him up uh, anyway, just because he has the lowest uh, WRC plus of qualified batters, and it's Cole Calhoun. He has a nine, a nine WRC plus. That's really funny to me. I've told y'all before that, like, a, a low single digit is way funnier to me than, like, even a minus. A minus, you're just like, okay, you know. Well, I guess if he had a minus in 119 plate appearances, that'd be pretty funny. But a nine, that's just really funny. What's my what's my WRC plus? Nine. I have a nine. I feel like I could get like a five. I probably couldn't. I'd have like a minus 69. Let's be real. Anyway, Cole Calhoun has a lot of struggles going on right now. And obviously, he's an easy cut in most fo mixed formats, especially because... Uh, you took him so late, outfield's more plentiful. So I get all that. Um, this is really more for you AL-only leaguers that can't cut a body like this that's playing every day because his defense is good and he's on a good team. He's at, Cole Calhoun's hitting 165, 193, 209 with a 222 BABIP, 043 uh, ISO, a homer, two steals. He had five all of last year. He's already got two. 
So he's trying to do something. 28% strikeout rate, way higher than anything he's done. 3% walk rate, way lower than anything he's done. It's a mess right now. And I'm not entirely sure why. Um, this, this kind of performance. Oh, let me, let me continue. Bad ball profile. 57% ground ball rate up from 44% last year. Um, th this is, here's something, by the way. Hard contact rate is nice and it's useful. It's starting to get used as a mic dropper, meaning I'm worried about player X. Okay, well, he's got a 42% hard contact rate. Shut up and quit your bitching as, as the response. And it's like, no, that that doesn't work that way. Cole Calhoun does have a 39% mark, which is up from last year. But he has a 57% ground ball rate. So he's beating a ton of balls into the ground, it would seem. that That's my guess there. So I'm not impressed by a hard contact rate when you have a 24% fly ball rate, when you're not elevating the ball, when you have a 2.4 ground ball to fly ball rate, your hard contact rate is basically irrelevant to me because you're not lifting it at all. And, and I, just, I'm, I am, I'm hearing a little bit too much of it. And if I do it and, and you guys catch me doing it, let me know. Just say, hey, man, uh, you, you kind of sloughed off so-and-so uh, as, as having a problem because, because you cited his hard contact rate and nothing else. Because I don't want to do that because, again, I don't think it's viable, especially in the context of the rest of the batter ball profile. You know, I, I mentioned it with Marcelo Zuna, but – like I said, everything else is is more or less fine or at least at a level where you can see a hot streak kind of turning everything else around. Um, I mentioned, you know, ground ball up a little bit with, with Ozuna, et cetera, et cetera. But with Cal Calhoun, if it was used as a mic dropper because it's a, his highest ever or tied for his highest ever at 39% hard contact, I'd be like, who cares? Because the, the ball's on the ground just way too much. His pull percentage is down six points. Um, which is not that much, but it is down. So he's not not getting around on the ball as much. There's a lot to be concerned with here. Tons of swing and miss. Not nearly as much patience. Um, you know, his chase rate, his O swing percentage, uh, swinging outside of the zone is not, uh, you know, super alarming despite being a, a six-year high at 33%, but it was 29% last year. Again, that's something that, is corrected or completely reversed in in one one little hot streak. It's not a it, it'd have to be at like forty percent right now to where I'm like, whoa, this is markedly different from from last year. So I look at Calhoun. There's a way out of it, but this this suggests something is, is amiss right now. I don't know if if he's been bothered by any nagging injuries that might be bigger than we thought. He does play a really hard style of defense, diving all around. Cannot watch an Angels game without a diving play from Cole Calhoun, which is exciting to watch, but also puts your body on the line. And if he has, you know, three, four different aches and bruises on a shoulder, a knee and a wrist all at one time, that can, that can carry to the plate a hundred percent. So my bottom line on Calhoun is definitely don't buy low because I am concerned about injury. AL only folks, you I think you got to stick it out. I just, I don't know what's going to pop up on a, on a waiver wire in an only league that's going to allow you to feel comfortable moving on from a, from an everyday starter again on a great team too. Um, that, that, that helps. So uh, all mixed leaguers, I think even 15 teamers, you could cut him. You could cut Cole Calhoun. You didn't invest a big enough pick to where you really got to stick it out. He was picked 281. People were worried. Uh, the one thing, the one like silver lining that I was seeing for Cole Calhoun this year was they lowered that wall and, you know, a lot of folks posited that they lowered it for Shohei Otani. And it's like, well, you know, Calhoun could benefit from it too. It's, they lowered a, a wall about, I think 10 feet in, uh, in right field. He maybe could steal a few more homers. Well, so far so bad. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's where, that's where it's at with, with Calhoun ride it out in, in AL only and maybe super deep 20 teamers. But otherwise, you can you can confidently move on from Cole Calhoun, and if you see it turning, go ahead and pick him back up. But right now, you got to get you got to get better performance out of an outfield spot, particularly if you're in like a three outfield league. You, you absolutely cannot have him, which I'm sure you already made the move on him. So that's kind of stating the obvious there. All right, we got three pitchers to talk about again: two starters, one uh, one reliever here. Let's let's go in reverse. Let's start with the reliever because it's kind of quick and it's actually not a closer. 
It's uh, Dallin Batansis. And I bring him up because he does get drafted in all mixed leagues. I think even 10-team mixers, unless you have, you know, maybe a head-to-head where there's no holds or anything like that. But but every Roto League that I've been in for the last, like, four years now, maybe five years. Well, no, because the, the fifth year was the first one that he got going, 2014, and that he had to be picked up in season. But then pretty much since then, you see Dallin Batansis drafted everywhere. And it's been tough this year there there were some issues last year particularly with his walks and that may have been like uh uh-oh is this is this starting to be a problem well he got his strikeouts up a lot this year he's up from uh 38 to 44 percent is he actually cut his walks in half now we all kind of figured a 17 percent walk rate would improve or else he'd be sent down phantom dl'd or something because you can't just keep walking 17 percent. so he's down to eight percent which is great it's actually a four-year low for batansis and uh, good swinging strike rate you know all that sort that's checking out the problem is he has a 579 era and a 157 whip because he's allowing 10.9 home uh, excuse me that'd be a lot 10.9 hits and 1.9 homers check this Guess what his BABIP is? Unless you already know it, obviously, you're going to get it right. But shout into wherever you are. If you're listening to this somewhere in public, say out loud what you think Dallin Batansis' BABIP is. Ready? Go. Nope, you're wrong and stupid. It's 519. It's 519. More than half of the batted balls against Dallin Batansis are uh, are going for hits. He's allowed 17 hits in 14 innings. What? How's that even possible? Even in a 14-inning sample, that seems insane, particularly against a guy like Batances, who's difficult to even get bat to ball, let alone find find a hole with it. Like, that is absolutely absurd. I'm trying to see um, the... The, the breakdown of of the hits is this a boatload of singles? We know we know there's some homers for sure. Three of the fourteen hits are homers, and he allowed three homers all of last year. So that's that's something for sure, and that, and you can pin that on him. But it's also a sixty percent homer to fly ball ratio for Batances. So you know, homers even on a even on a big homer to fly ball rate. The pitcher has to deal with, you know, they have to eat some of that. You can't just slough it off and say he's been unlucky on that aspect. Okay, but the rest of the hits, there's one double. So you have one double, three homers, and 13 singles. This will not last, obviously, the 519 Babbitt. I think it'll go sharply the other way, and there will be a stretch of 25 games where, you know, Batanzas has allowed one hit or something. Like something crazy like that I think will will happen. Because of the way he's pitching everywhere else. I think everything else is is going uh well enough that he'll have a big stretch where uh where this hit rate comes way, way down. You look at it with the uh the advanced indicators three sixteen FIP. Let's peep his Sierra, one sixty one Sierra. Sierra saying that's skills independent ERA. They're saying no way. This is this is whack because they see the uh, the strikeouts, the walks, the obscene home run rate. He has a fifty percent ground ball rate. Um, a lot of line drives too. Thirty three percent line drive rate. So that certainly contributes to the five five nineteen BABIP and and bunch of hits as well. So that kind of goes back to a little bit. Of you know he's contributing to this right. This is not just happening to Batances. Um, I don't think you can bad luck your way to something like this. But there's enough good within this 14 innings that says to me that I'm not going to completely freak out here. And if he's getting cut anywhere, I'm looking to scoop him, and I'm even looking to trade him if I want to if I if I want to supplement my uh, roster with with a strikeout guy or. If your league counts holds, he only has one this year, but if your league counts holds and, and you think he could be valuable for you there, I think Batances is a buy. I just can't see this lasting. This is this is whack. This is absolutely whack. Let me look at the game. Like, I know the most recent outing was a disaster. Um, actually, excuse me. There was a... Yeah, yeah, the most recent one against Cleveland when he allowed those three hits and all three of them came around to score. He has a five-hit outing at Detroit, I remember that one, and a three-hit outing, uh, his second outing of the season at Toronto. So you look, 
and 11 of the hits came in three outings. So those were bad days without a doubt. I would be a lot more alarmed if he was giving a hit up in like every single outing, right? I mean, he's got some one inning, three strikeout outings here. Well, one of those. I, I said some as if there were they were plentiful. Well, actually, no. Hang on. He does have more than one. He gave up a hit in one of them. The other was perfectly clean. Um, there's actually three here. Yeah, so he does have some of those. Anyway, bottom line, I'm, I'm ramming a little bit too much on Batances. He's a buy low. If, if, if I think you can get him low. I don't know that he, the team that has him can really command uh, such a steep price. Where he, if they do, you just walk away and say, fine, that's that's cool. I'll go find Victor Orano or something from uh, from Philly. If But if you really want Batances, absolutely go ahead and do it. All right, the two starters. My goodness. Dylan Bundy. What is your problem, dog? Holy Toledo. This guy was tracking for his breakout, man. You know, and this is obviously the danger of reacting quickly or whatever. I, actually, you know what? I'm going to peel back on that because we make assessments based on what we've seen, right? And through five starts, the skills that uh, that Bundy had put up were backing up what he had done. Now, that didn't mean that he was going to keep a 142 ERA for the full season. Nobody was saying that. But there was reason to be excited and, and consider that could we be seeing the the Bundy breakout finally? Yes, we absolutely could. And so people were rightfully super excited. And it has all gone to hell in the last three starts, during which he has allowed eight, seven, and seven runs uh, with seven, five, and seven of them earned. In fact, last time, last night, Tuesday night, he did not get a single out. He faced seven batters, all seven scored, four home runs. I mean, this is the kind of devastation, first off, that can really, really botch your season. Like, unless you've got Paxton or a Cole or somebody, like, you, unless you've got a bona fide ace, this is, this is doing severe damage nine innings of a 19 era and a like 40,000 whip let me see what it actually is oh a three whip three his whip would make a decent era my gosh um yeah this is brutal i i i don't even know i haven't investigated fully to see like what's up with it um the funny thing and not funny for those that have him on their team but like the interesting thing is if you just go to his page right now and you look at like his strikeout to walk and and swinging strike and all that, it's great. It's still great. 26% strikeout, 7% walk, 15% swinging strike, 19% uh, strikeout minus walk. Those are all career bests. Well, the walk rate's tied with last year's 7%. But then you look at a 2.2 homer per nine, 10.8 hits per nine. This is some Dellen Batances stuff. Uh, uh, but he has 41 innings, Bundy does. So this is this is worrisome. Here's the here's the biggest problem though. You can't do anything with it. You can't trade him, that's for sure. You're not going to get anything in return. And I don't really think you can cut him even after these three devastating starts. The only scenario where I could really see you cutting him is if you don't have a reserve roster. And there are some leagues like that. I play play in one. It's an NL only plus Houston, don't ask. Um where you can't reserve anybody. There you either have guys that are playing, guys that are on the DL in the minors or that's it. Nobody that's active um, in in the majors can can just sit on on a reserve roster. We don't have that. I could see that in shallower leagues. If you're in a ten teamer or a twelve teamer, where it's like you got to play them or or nothing, that's the scenario where I'm open to it. But otherwise, I think you got to ride it out because as bad as, as bad as it's been, he still has a five thirty one ERA for the year which isn't even the worst in the league. He just took such an interesting route to get there, right? Among qualified starters, like there's like 15, uh, oh, he's 531. I said, I think I said 513. But among qualified starters, he's ninth worst, um, you know, and, and so it's it's very bad, but it's not like he's the number one guy and, and there's some other guys, that, you know, he's basically tied with Chris Archer. We're not cutting Chris Archer. Now Archer has a much deeper track record but Dylan Bundy I think you know you you paid something at draft for him 
He was a top 200 pick. He was inching up into the top 150, I think, as draft season was closing up. I'm sorry. I, th I think you got to ride this out. I mean, I'm not the authority. You can do what you want. But my, my, uh, my opinion, my, my uh, recommendation is to ride it out. Now, of course, the exception would be injury scenario. Well, actually, that wouldn't even be the exception, though, because then you could DL Dylan Bundy. you got to think something's wrong, right, with the health after this. I mean, this is so bad. He's had major injury issues um, throughout his career. I, I just, I don't know. This is absolutely crazy. Let me look at one other thing here before we move on to the other guy who actually is the worst qualified ERA in baseball right now. Uh, let me see. Usually the success or failures of Dylan Bundy are tied to his slider usage. Um, well... Two of the three bad starts uh, are his lowest slider usages. Usages? No, slider slider usage rates. We'll go with that. The two of the three lowest of the uh, uh, two of the lowest of the year in, in those three starts. Um, uh, on Tuesday, fourteen percent usage, and then back on four twenty six, nineteen percent. But in the middle start there, the one at LA, he used it twenty seven percent of the time. So it wasn't. You can't really just blame it on that, but. That's usually the, the, the key driver behind success and failure with him. The, the concerning point here is nine homers in these three starts. Like he is just, they're teeing off on, on Bundy. And the, the velo has dipped substantially in the last, well, substantially meaning like a, a full point. Um, if you look from nine, on the first bad outing, it was 91.8, then the last, then 90.6, 90 and then yesterday 90.5. So the, the velo's down a little bit, you know, got terrible command of everything, really. This is scary, for sure. I understand the panic that you that you have if you have Bundy on your team. You were thinking that you found a uh, another fantasy ace in the middle rounds, and it turns out you might have a dud on your hands. I'm going to say sit tight. At least see what's what. Give it some time here to see if they, they, they DL him. Or what? I don't think I would outright cut Dylan Bundy, though. I just I think I've got too much invested in him. Not necessarily from a pick standpoint, but from just a, I don't know from a potential standpoint. I like Dylan Bundy. I still think there's more here. When we when we were seeing the first seven starts or five starts, it was looking like okay, here comes the breakout. We, we he was projected to be an ace. Um, not that he was necessarily going to get to ace level, but it, he was looking like he was going to be a, a firm top thirty guy. Now he's not like top 30 in an AL East only league. I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, so sit tight with Bundy. This next guy, I don't know. I don't think so, Tim. I don't think I'm sitting so tight with Marcus Stroman because he came in with the shoulder issue and has been god-awful. Again, leads, well, leads, leads baseball in poor ERA. That, that's the way to put it. He has the worst ERA among qualified starters at 771. With a 171 whip, 18% strikeout, 10% walk. The big surge in walks is concerning as well. Um, one point off of his velo from 93 to 92. He's never been a huge swing and miss guy. 1.2 uh, homers, 11.1 .1 hits. My biggest concern with Marcus Stroman, the it, beyond the shoulder, the reason I was not drafting him is because I think that the Toronto Blue Jays have a terrible infield defense, and he's a big ground ball guy that relies on defense to kind of turn that into outs and so you know 9.0 hits the last two years combined that keeps the whip high so even when the era was good last year i think he was kind of skating there to get that uh for stroman throw it throw in a shoulder issue and it's a gg i was out i just it wasn't and i'm not saying that to like brag about oh look at me i i, I got it I'm telling you the reasons why this is not like a a you know chest pounding scenario this is just a here's here's how i got to not rostering stroman this year and i'm i'm still super concerned after seven starts and i think folks should be too everything's going the wrong way they're still running him out there though so i i, I unless he's hiding an injury i wonder if it, you know stroman's fine and they, and they know he's like working through it i am i would be curious to to do a deeper investigation here. I did some cursory research, obviously looked at all his uh, 
statistical information. I know he had a good start at Minnesota that encouraged some folks, but then he turns around and gives up five in five to Seattle and, um, you know, kind of squandered that, that goodwill that he had earned. So this is, this is concerning for me. I, I do think I'm more open to moving on in the shallower formats. But again, I think when you invest a top 150 pick, you got to kind of ride it out and, and actually uh, see what's what with, with Marcus Stroman because you, you made the investment. But, but in fairness, this one's a total in-betweener if you've got him. I, I would not even – I wouldn't chastise folks that cut him even in deeper formats like a 15-team. AL only, again, sorry, you just got to ride it out 100%. Like you can't put a Marcus Stroman on the waiver wire in an AL only unless you're just trying to drain the fab budgets of somebody in your league. Um, but, yeah, I, I, think, I think you just got to see this one through at least another five, six starts. Um, and, and, and kind of see if this comes down. 339 Babbitt is not obscene, though. Again, sorry, I'm kind of going back and forth here of like, ride it out. But then there's this terrible thing. Here's what I'm going to back up. I understand cutting him in every format, but AL only for Marcus Stroman. There. You can absolutely do it. There's There's been enough pitching coming into the league. If you don't have anybody else that you can cut that, that you drafted later that's struggling, and it's just come down to, well, if I can, you know, I know these guys are picked up, but like, let's just talk about the flavors of, of last week, like uh, Fernando Romero or Mike Soroka. It, it, you know, if another another flavor of the month comes in like that, or flavor of the week comes in like that, that you really like, a prospect type that you really like, and, and he's your only cut, Marcus Stroman, then I get it, even in 15-team mixed. I'm not sure that his track record is strong enough to where you have to just blindly hang on to him. He had a 131 whip last year. The 309 ERA, there there was some good fortune there. He was 437-129 ERA whip combo in 2016. I'm sorry, I like Marcus Stroman. He's got a uh, he's got more like star power in in the baseball culture, but I don't think he has enough pelts on the wall performance wise to be uncuttable in anything but AL only. So there it is. That's the team. Um, let me know if you have any questions about any of these guys covered. I will have another episode out this week with a special guest, and then Justin will be back. Uh, maybe over the weekend, but but next week for sure. Thanks for listening. Want an unfair advantage to dominate your fantasy baseball league? Well, look no further and download SquadQL, the only mobile app you need to crush your friends and rivals this year. Download SquadQL for free for your Apple and Android devices. SquadQL recommends the best starting lineup each day based on your starters, bench players, and free agent pool. How does SquadQL actually do this? The app connects directly with your Yahoo, ESPN, and CBS leagues, pulling in your actual roster, your league scoring system. The app also provides waiver wire recommendations, daily updates to player rankings, and much more. Head to the Apple app or Google Play stores to download SquadQL, your all-in-one fantasy baseball manager. SquadQL is brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy Lineup optimizer trusted by over 100,000 DFS players. You can also download RotoQL for free for both Apple and Android.